Good morning. Finally get myself adjusted here. So good to see everyone here. Thank you for joining us in the youth room, and thanks for joining us online as well. Uh, It's just great to be together. It is Valentine's Day. Whether that causes you to cringe or causes you to rejoice, it is Valentine's Day. And so if you're celebrating that, happy Valentine's Day to you. Uh, If you're not, just ignore that I just said that. And uh, I did that one year. I ignored Valentine's Day one year. I chose to forget it, and I chose to tell Joanna that it was a Hallmark holiday, and that was one year, right? That was it. That was one year. I learned from that mistake. And uh, in all seriousness, I did. I I told her that one year, and uh, she told me I was wrong, and I learned, and I've moved forward. And I did the next logical thing, is I was married to Joanna on Valentine's Day 17 years ago. And so... Uh, so I want to say happy uh, anniversary to Joanna, and uh, you know, it's only been 17 years. We're teenagers, so uh, we still have much to learn. But today, as Nick said, we are indeed wrapping up our Better Together series, and uh, we have taken time to talk about what it means to be a biblically-centered community, really cultivating the important things, and what it means to be better together. So we talked about the primacy of the word, that the word of God needs to be at the center. It needs to be something that we build from. That prayer needs to be right there with it, that we need to be a prayer-centered community, that we need to be a generous, common, good community. We base this all on the book of Acts chapter 2, where we see these things at the, the very center of their community, see how, see how they're growing and processing. And then last week, John took us through being a worship-centered community. And what a great Sunday that was to be able to worship together, uh, to be able to look into the Word. And today, I want to look at what it means to be a growth-centered community. As our last week in this series, there's much more we could speak of from chapter 2 of Acts. But what does it mean to grow? Because so often we look at this chapter and we see this immense growth. And we look at numbers. We're like, man, 3,000 people came to know the Lord that day. Which is awesome, but it's also very overwhelming is that that is just an amazing movement of God. And God still works in amazing, miraculous ways. There's great movements of God happening. And I sincerely believe that we're in the middle of a time right now where God wants to do something remarkable in the church. I believe God is refining the church, is restoring the church, is is doing um, really uh, a work uh, within the church. And I'm excited for what God is going to continue to do in the church of Jesus Christ around the world. And also our church as part of that church. So as a society, we value growth. We, we love growth. We, we think about it with our kids, is that when you have a baby, you want your baby to grow and to be healthy and strong. When the kids are a little bit older, you want them to be growing in school academically and socially and spiritually. When you have a business, you want your business to grow. If you have investments, you want them to grow, especially if you invested in March. Good job. Um, We're doing really, really well right now. And so, good, keep at that. So any way that we look at this is that there is growth, and we value growth as a society, and in Acts 2, there was value growth as well. Now, growth is something that we can just say, we want more numbers, but there's something deeper. There's something that catalyzes growth. There's something that marks growth. And we're going to look in Acts 2 today. So I invite you to turn there and to see if we can pick up some ways that growth occurred. We've been talking about a number of them, but there's something that I want us to center on in this last week of this series from Acts 2. So we're going to start in verse 1 of Acts 2. 
See if you pick it up. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So I'm going to skip forward a little bit further because we focused on this a couple weeks ago. Verse uh, 13. Some, of the, some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So the crowd's watching. They're saying, no, 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 they're just drunk. They're, I don't know what's going on there. Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even... On my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge to you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep hold on him. So here, the the spirit of God comes and laying out the message of this is what has been prophesied. This is Jesus that came. Now the Spirit of God is here. And so he continues on speaking. And we get down to verse 37. It says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, What shall we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, Find a church. Make sure it's big enough, with not, but not too big. Find one who has a good nursery, children's program, and youth group. That's entertaining to keep teens' attentions, but not too deep as to bore them and not want them to bring their friends. This church must also have social gatherings, Bible studies, and small groups. There must be people at the church who will attend to your needs and keep you accountable. The church needs to constantly remind you to read your Bible, pray, worship, and connect with one another. Make sure the worship style fits your preference too, and all of your needs, wants, political leanings, and desires are met as well. Amen. (laughs) I heard that. (laughs) Verse 38, it obviously does not say that. It does not say that. Can you imagine, imagine for a moment, if Peter or John stood up and said those things? Yep, the, the Old Testament said this, Jesus came, the Spirit of God is amongst us. Now, you go to a church that has a proper paint color that you like. Because, oh, I don't really like this blue gray thing. Why is the cross glowing red? The carpet is like this weird brown thing. Can you imagine Paul saying these things or saying, hey, I want to commend you, church at Ephesus. You have some amazing spring groups and programs coming up. It is awesome. You keep doing that. But yet, when we talk about the church, we talk about these things. We've all been guilty 
We have all been guilty of this. He is, what Peter actually said were these things. And I want you to listen again for the growth element. Peter said this in verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. As I read this, as I look at this church in Acts, it causes me to realize something. When the Spirit of God is not at the center of a Christ follower's life, not at the center of the church, our attention will be drawn to everything else around us. Why the cross is glowing red, why the carpet is brown, why there's this color on the wall, why this group isn't offered, why this group is offered, why they're not doing it this way, why this, the pastor said this, 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 this. When the Spirit of God is at the center of a church, our attention is automatically drawn to the Spirit of God. We cannot take our look elsewhere because we're so attentive on the Spirit of God. This is the church that we're seeing in Acts. And they see this growth through repentance and baptism and forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit and the rejection of the world. But they're not finished. Verse 42, which we focused on these verses the last number of weeks. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone who was filled with awe, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And when the Lord added to their number daily those who were, Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So again, these are the things that catalyze growth is the word and fellowship and common meals and prayer, meeting together, being in homes and worship. Their attention was on the spirit of God, on Jesus. Their attention was on what God was doing in them and through them and around them, not on their preferences. Daily salvation, the Lord increasing in their number. They look different than the world around them. And throughout time, the, the church of Jesus Christ has desired to grow, and it should. I mean, this is the call that Jesus set forth. But unfortunately, a lot of times, we've asked the wrong questions. We've asked, well, what, what do you want? What, what are you looking for in a church? What, what can we do for you? Instead of, this is what we need as followers of Jesus. As I was processing this, I, I thought back to when I began in youth ministry. I had just served a summer in Nashville in the inner city, and, and I came back here because I wanted students here in Marshall to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I wanted them to grow in their faith, and I wanted them to serve. And I think these are very solid biblical directives that the Lord has laid out, and so I came back here. And those things happen. People came to know Christ. They grew. They served. But what happened over time was I started doing more and more events. 
And events are not bad. Don't hear me the wrong way. But I started doing events with more food and more messy games and more hype and just bring your friends to this, bring your friends to this, and then throw a little Jesus in. And what happened is there was some growth, but, but a lot of what happened was that I had created consumers instead of disciples. See, because I had to keep doing the events. I had to keep having the hype. I had to keep this level of entertainment up here while trying to also insert Jesus. And so I had people coming who are consuming, but like, "Ah, I don't know about this Jesus thing. This is not just a youth ministry reality. This is something that the church has been a part of for a long time. And what this is, is this is a growth model that really spawned from the 70s and 80s. This church growth movement. And this church growth movement was a sincere heart and effort of evangelizing the world, evangelizing the United States, being out on mission. I believe it was pure. But what it mixed in is it started mixing in marketing strategies and business concepts and models. And churches are still... 50 years later, ours included, still influenced by this. This is mission statements and vision statements and purposes. And these are good things and these help people, but they can't be the thing. Because in a moment, I'm I'm gonna talk about what our mission is as a church. So this is not a bad thing. It's only troubling when it becomes a consumer reality like I created with youth instead of a discipling model that Jesus called us to. Misconsumerism has created church shopping and church hopping. You know, and really every Christian needs to come to the point here of saying, am I a consumer or a disciple of Jesus? Have I chosen a place to connect into community to try to be better together in community because of what they can offer me and what I can gain or rather because it pushes me to be a further follower, a disciple of Jesus? It causes me to root deeper within. Because I promise you, the church will let you down because a preference will not be met. I promise you. see it all the time. But if we keep running towards Jesus as disciples, we're going to learn and grow from one another. We're going to be in the Word together. We're going to pray together. We're going to share together. We're going to worship together. And it's going to be messy. But it's going to be something that God calls us to. What gets really frustrating is that when we consume and we expect to be given things, you're going to hit a frustration point. Every single one of us will hit a frustration point because I'm not getting enough. But as a disciple, it's about giving. It's about what is God doing, his spirit in me and through me, and how am I pouring into someone else? Often what we do as a consumer is we look for what's outside of us to take into us instead of what's in us to give away. Consider it this way. Turn over to John 3, or John 3, John 5, excuse me. With this growth concept in mind, this consuming versus disciple reality in mind, I want us to look at a, a passage here. Starting in verse 1 of John 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. 
Now there in is in Jerusalem near a sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now every time I read that, Kind of an insulting question, right? I mean, the guy is laying by a pool, which people believe that the Spirit of God would stir the pool up, and the first person to rush into that pool would be healed. That's why the people waited around it. So for 38 years, he'd had this condition, and he's waiting by the pool, and Jesus comes by and says, hey, you want to get well? I mean, in our sensitive society now, this would be like highly offensive, right? Is that there's this, this like, yeah, of course I want to get well. Yes, I do. Verse 7 says this, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Did the man answer Jesus' question? Nope. What did he do? He made an excuse, exactly. How many of us have made excuses of why we have not grown or gotten well, or been healed. I know I'm not the only one in this room. You can raise your hand at home too. I am really good at making excuses. I am really good, like this man, of saying, well, it's not my fault. If something else happened around me or outside of me differently, then I would have done this. I mean, it's like Jesus asked us a question of, do you want to grow? Do you want to know the word better? Do you want more intimacy through prayer? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want the Spirit to lead you and empower you? Do you want to connect and know followers of Jesus better? Too often I'm like, well, I don't really have time. I don't feel like it right now. I was once hurt by someone. Or if the church would do this, or if Chris would do this, or if someone would do this for me, then I would would do those things. But But too often I'm like that man that says, people are just faster than I am. They're getting to the pool before I am. And I love Jesus. Jesus has nothing nothing with his his comment. It's like Jesus just ignores it. Sometimes you just choose not to engage in conversations with your kids, right? When they like throw something at you, you're just like, no, we're not going there. We're going to go this way with it. This is what Jesus does. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. So again, probably an insulting comment to the man, right? He's like, seriously, I've been like this for 38 years. You expect me just to get up and walk? And Jesus' answer is yes. Verse 9, at once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. I believe Jesus is saying to the church, to our church, to followers of Jesus, get up. Get up. Get up. Well, but I'm like the man laying by the pool with excuses. The church is like the man laying by the pool with excuses. I believe God's doing something in this time, and he's inviting us to get up and to get well. And those who get up responding to the call of Jesus, they're going to get well. They're going to walk in faith. They're going to walk with Jesus. But unfortunately, I believe there's going to be a lot of people who are like, nope, I'm sitting at the pool. It's just the way it's been. I'm going to stay here. I've got my excuse. 
So here's the really cool thing is that the Spirit of God is not in a pool that you have to rush to. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God is within you. The power is within you. And that's not just something that you conjure up by thinking the right things or saying the right things. It is a choice of responding to the Spirit of God. It's a stirring within us. As I continue to reflect on this last year, 2020, many words come to mind when I think of 2020, but the word I'm choosing today is the word survival. I don't know if there's ever been a year where I would say it feels good that I survived the year. And maybe you'd say the same thing. It's almost like you move through the season going like, okay, yep, all right, family, good, good, job, um, all right, ministry, good, all right, all right, whew. Whew. all right, I survived. But we can't just survive. That's sitting by the pool. There's a point where we stand up and we thrive. We move forward, led by the Spirit of God, like we see in Acts 2. It's moving into this flourishing, into this growth. James 1, verse 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Trials this past year? Yep. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Testing this year? Yep. What is the result of that testing, of that trial? It's perseverance. It's perseverance. But we can't just leave with perseverance of like, yes, I made it through 2020. I persevered, I survived. Because the passage doesn't end there. Verse four says this. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's still work to be done. You've persevered. You have made it through. Now it's this choice of thriving, getting up off the mat and moving with Jesus. It's time to grow up. It's time to stop making excuses. And I'm saying this just as much to everyone who's hearing these words as I continue to say it to myself. I raise my hand. I make excuses all the time. The author of Hebrews says this about growing up. Chapter five. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear because you no longer try to understand. I just picture the the man by the pool. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. He's speaking here to this consuming. If I just go to church, if I just consume, then I'll be mature. But what the author of Hebrews is pointing out is that you, we should be teaching. We should be multiplying this into others, not just consuming. It says, you need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward into maturity. It says, let us move beyond. This is what it means to be a growth-centered community, is responding to the Spirit of God. It's saying, I'm done with the milk. I'm done with the passive Christianity. I'm done with sitting by the pool making excuses or complaining. Like, I'm taking that step with Jesus, led by the Spirit of God. I'm going to bite into that meat. Sorry, vegetarians and vegans. It's, a, it's an image here. It's, it's a metaphor. 
Go with it. It can't just be an hour on a Sunday. I mean, studies are showing right now that the average American consumes about three hours of social media every day and another four hours of TV. I mean, there's no way that you can consume just one hour a week and think you're going to grow and mature and flourish. There are too many other influences going in that are shaping you and molding you and molding me. But again, it's not about us doing more. It's about us responding to the spirit, the power that's already within us. There's a transformation. It's living into who we already are. So as we wrap up, I want to I leave you with this image. How many of you have seen the movie Madagascar? It's a cartoon that came out, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. Maybe it was longer. I'm old. I have no idea. Um, so there's a story about these animals who are in the zoo in New York. And they are comfortable. They're loving the zoo, right? I mean, they get meals. They get clean. They have this nice, safe cage that they're within. People come and they look at them. And they're like, wow, they're really great. But there's an itch. There's an itch in some of the characters. And they're saying, we're made for something more. We're made for so much more than cages, than comfort, than being fed, than just taking in all of this. And the story progresses of how they escape the zoo. And you know what? It's not perfect. It's messy. It's hard. But they learn who they really are, who they really have been called to be. Too often as Christians, again, myself in this, is I like my comfort. I like my cages. I like the zoo. I like people to come and to look and to be like, ooh, look at that. And I like, you know, being fed. And I like, you know, just having everything taken care of and being comfortable. But I'm created and you are created as a follower of Christ for so much more than a zoo. So much more than a cage. So much more than what we've settled for. So much more than just taking in. See, this church, I pray in any way possible that it's not like a zoo. And as we move forward, that we, we strip away these zoo-like tendencies. That we grow into who we really are. That we, we come here for encouragement and, and blessing one another and worship. But you know what? We go right out into the wild, and we thrive out there who we're created to be. See, so many of us have this like longing within us of like, this cannot be it. This can't be it. It's just this, come here and do this now. There's got to be more. And it's tapping into that spirit that is calling us out. It's calling us to grow far beyond what we've settled for, for our comfort. See, there's nothing tame about being a follower of Jesus. There's nothing tame about the kingdom of God breaking through in the world we live in now with heaven coming to earth now. There's nothing tame about that. I want to read two sections from Ephesians as we wrap up. And I want you to hear what it means to be a growth-centered community and how the power of the Spirit of God moves us. So from Ephesians 1, Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. As you walk out of here, I pray that our eyes are enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance of his holy people, and to his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So this power, this hope, is for here and now, not about escaping off someday in the future when we die. There's power and there's hope now. Paul continues to pray in Ephesians 3, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together, together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So what does it mean to be a growth center community? It's responding to the spirit of God that is implanted, the hope, the love, the power, to the fullness of measure in every moment of our life. I settle for far too less. I'm guessing most of us do too. To grow is a response to the spirit of God in every moment of our life. It's leaning into that power when we feel weak because who better than the spirit of God to fill that gap? When we're strong, we're following in his footsteps. This is what we witness in Acts 2. This is what we witness of a community growing in the scriptures. And I pray that we too, as a church, we would walk in the same way. Let's pray. Jesus, you are remarkable. You are holy, and you're perfect. Lord Jesus, forgive me, forgive us for complacency, for settling for far too less than what you've called us to. Lord, as we continue to center ourselves as a church on the word and prayer and generosity and worship, God, may you bring about growth in us, a rootedness deep, connected to the heart of the Father through Jesus, empowered by the Spirit of God. Lord, for those of us who are settling for far less, who are settling for sin, who are settling for, for pleasures of this world instead of what you have for us, God, forgive us. Or may we walk in your power. May we walk in your righteousness. Lord Jesus, as we move forward, God, it can get uncomfortable because we're so used to zoo-like environments. Lord Jesus, thank you that you go with us into the wild where we're called to be. Lord, I thank you that you send us into our homes and workplaces and schools and neighborhoods and communities. And Jesus, may your spirit overflow from us in a mighty, mighty way. Lord, I thank you that you are the source of that power. God, I thank you that you've equipped each one of us here and now, right now, to 
to follow after you in this way. So Lord, we're so thankful for your son Jesus, the empowerment of your spirit. God, thank you that you go with us and thank you that we are better together because we know you as our Lord and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen.